This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. What's up, everybody out there in listener land? This is episode 11 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Tucker Merrihue. I'm here with my co-host, Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group in our virtual studio. What's going on, Steve-O? Hey, Tucker. It was a hell of a weekend, huh? I got out there, played some golf yesterday, and it was like 80 degrees and golfing in October. Must be climate change, huh? (laughs) Yeah, no, the weather was phenomenal. I was actually at Skamania Lodge myself, so we had a little company offsite. We'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about our businesses. Where did you play at? I went and played Langdon Farms. I played the back nine, too, which I have never played there, and I got to say, I I like it. With the exception of the freeway, you know, being right next to you, uh, I dug it. Yeah, I've played Langdon many a time. That one hole along the freeway is one of the longer holes in the area. I think it's like 600 yards. Our mutual buddy, Big Ryan, put one in the, uh, in the freeway. <laughs> T-box. So, that was interesting. But, yeah, it was good. It was good times. It was a great weekend. But it sounds like you went up to Skamania Lodge then. You had a uh, company outing. Might as well just jump into what was going on with you this past weekend in the company. Yeah, so we did a uh, quarterly off-site getaway retreat. We've been planning it for a little while, and Skamania Lodge has always just been one of my favorite little getaways because it's such a beautiful area, and it's not really that far. You can be there in about an hour and a half. And so we spent Friday, Saturday, and Sunday there, and Friday was pretty much all business. We had one of the conference rooms there and just kind of spent about eight hours going over business planning, talking about what we have coming up, growth plans. You know, we're talking about in 2016, we'd like to open up a couple new branches for Premier Property Group, one of them in Washington, one in Oregon. Right now, we have a Vancouver branch, but it's right in the heart of downtown Vancouver, which is actually a really neat area, and they're really doing some cool things there in downtown Vancouver. I don't know if you knew about it, Tucker, but they're doing a huge development right there on on the water by the bridge. I've heard about it. You know, I work with a few people that do some renovating in Vancouver area. I've bought and sold a few houses up there over the years, but I don't know it near as well as, you know, even probably you do. But I have heard about that project on the water. They're pumping a ton of money into it is what I've heard. And it's some developers with a really good track record around the area. It's the same developer, if I'm not mistaken, that put together Bridgeport. Okay. And a few others. And a few others. And I know that one for sure, but it might even be the development in Lake Oswego where Manzana's is, but I could be incorrect there. But he's done some great stuff. He knows how to go in and really turn an area around. And they are focused on Vancouver right there. And so we we do have a branch there. We're looking to get one on the east side of town. Camas is such a great area over there. We talked a little bit about Camas. We do think the cost per square foot's a little bit high in Camas. So we might be right on the border there, somewhere near Camas, so that we can definitely have a strong presence in that market, but also maybe some of the benefits of East Vancouver as well. We're also talking about a Gresham office. You know, it never ceases to surprise me that the fourth largest city in Oregon is Gresham. And, really? Um, I didn't know that. It's kind of its own little animal in the metro area. They even have their own association of realtors, believe it or not. Really? Um, sort of like the Coast Range then. Yeah. And granted, you can do a decent amount of business in Gresham without having a presence there. But we feel like we've got quite the number of agents that 
could justify putting a brick and mortar facility there in Gresham. So those are a couple of our expansion plans. What was the overarching theme? I mean, it sounds like if you guys are looking at expansion, everybody's got a pretty solid feeling on the market moving forward, because obviously you're not going to expand you know, too much if you feel like we're going into a flat or declining type market. Was that discussed at all? It was discussed a little bit, and I think the best times are right now. Do I think 2016 is going to be terrible? Absolutely not. But I think we're going to see interest rates go up a little bit. And I think we'll look back historically and go 2015 was really the best times. You know, we have no reason to believe that we're going to have any type of a contraction, dramatic contraction like we saw, you know, in 2008. The lending's not anywhere in that realm. You know, markets tend to go a li- inherently a little bit boom bust. It has a lot to do with supply and demand. You know, for a long time there, people weren't buying houses, so there was just this pent up demand for them. And now everybody's buying houses. So there will come a point and a time where most of the people who were in the market have bought, and there'll be a little bit of a lag behind it. And we may see that in 2016, maybe 2017. But I think we'll look back and go 2015 was one of the better better years. Yeah, I agree with you there. On kind of a more specific note, what did you see over the weekend showing volume-wise on on your listings? Did this weekend seem weird to you? Did it slow down dramatically? Because we put one on the market Friday, and I don't know if last week's horrific incident overshadowed this weekend along with nice weather, but it was really quiet out there this weekend, more so than I thought. I think we experienced that too. There's a big national news story out there and we're at the epicenter of it so it's definitely front and center in people's minds it's a disturbing you know piece of information out there that every time you go to one of our local news channels i mean it's like the top 10 stories and the weather was really nice as well so i think that did play a role yeah i think it was a little quiet the weekend before was good for us and then the early part of last week was good but yeah i wouldn't disagree with you on that yeah okay well i just curious what you saw because i was kind of like huh you know, you never know. You get these weird little pockets and we're heading into the holiday season. And traditionally, you know, as you get closer to Thanksgiving, you'll get those weekends with crickets. And you're like, well, I guess we're officially in the holiday season now, which is normal. But it just seemed a little bit early. But I don't know if last week's incidents in the nice weather here in October had something to do with it. May have, may not. I guess we'll see, huh? Yeah. It sounds like you guys had a fun weekend. I had a little bit of fun, too, but we're back to the grindstone this week. We're doing a dig out today on one of our projects, and we just locked up another uh, renovation project, actually, last week in Woodstock. So that's another hot little area in southeast. I like Woodstock a lot. It's still got affordability that's pretty high for the amenities that you have there. You know, you've got a lot of newer commercial stuff going in, a lot of shopping. You know, it's just got a nice homely type feel, little town to it. So I really like Woodstock and I'm excited about our new project that we're going to be taking on over there here very shortly. Very exciting. Beyond that, though, I did notice that since I'm in the building and flipping business, I noticed that probably the most expensive flip project in Portland sold this past week for uh, $1.95 million. I don't know if you saw that headline or not, but the current CEO of Fat Burger, Andy Widerhorn, I think is how you say his name, his old house went to foreclosure and Mike Erickson, a former congressional Republican candidate, bought it for $1.95 million cash up in the northwest Portland hills. And he said that he's just going to turn it and burn it. So that'll I be interesting. 
the house itself was called like the Ivy or something. I think the previous owner had named it, had its own basketball court and a lot of other stuff. So kind of interesting, but I'll be following that and seeing what he tries to flip it out at. I'm guessing somewhere, something with a four in front of it, maybe a five. Yeah, it's an interesting turn for him because I don't think his background is in construction and real estate. I think it's more in logistics and shipping. And he, yes, he has dabbled in politics a little bit. That kind of came to a screeching halt with some <laughs> allegations at the time. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does there. Yeah, I think that definitely chalks up as Portland's most expensive flip project, at least for a single family residence <laughs> going on right now, because that's pretty high dollar for here. So anyway, I saw that. I'm going to pay attention to that closely. But other than that, things are burning and turning for us. Like I talked about last time, we got a lot of construction on the front end that we're getting going on and just excited to be mainly planted in Lake Oswego and Dunthorpe moving forward for the next 12 months with some of the uncertainty that's going on in the Portland area. But that brings me to some of the topics that we're going to talk about this week. We actually got a couple headlines for you guys. Three of them we'll probably cram in but two we'll focus a little more time on. And the first one's going to be the UGB issue. We've got the urban growth boundary. It's been said, it's not official yet, but it's been said that they're not going to actually push the urban growth boundary in this latest meeting that I think they have to decide here in the coming month for certain, but it's been leaked out ahead of time that they're not going to expand it. Then we're going to jump into an asbestos issue. This was a big front page article in the Oregonian that caused mass hysteria. So I've got a couple things to say to the writer and also to everybody out there in listener land, just to kind of set their minds at ease and really talk through the process, because I think there's a lot of mystery to it and a lot of things that the writer didn't say that he needed to say. So it was a little bit of reckless writing, in my opinion. And then Steve's got one other interesting article he wanted to make mention to about refining and cash outs and all that stuff. So why don't we jump into the UGB issue because that plays right into one of our topics on the last show, which was density and redevelopment within the Portland metro area and with the urban growth boundaries latest decision not to expand it. What does that mean, Steve? What do you think? Well, the urban growth boundary, to take it from the top, it's really just a circle around the Portland metro area. And it's a collective group who get together as a governing organization and agree when to move that circle out and allow more building to be done and where to move it out. And it has some tremendous benefits. Portland's appreciation and not being overbuilt is a huge result of this controlled process. So what they typically are trying to do is they're projecting out 20 years and saying this is how many more people we anticipate will be in the area and then this is how much more land and housing we need for them and then they decide on where they're going to expand that to. This year they're basically saying we're going to leave it where it's at. I don't know if that's an official statement but every indication seems to be leading in that direction. Some interesting stats that I saw in that regard are that I didn't know that I necessarily agreed with, they talked about how they're projecting over the next 20 years that there will be 400,000 more people. I think maybe a while ago that could have been an accurate statement, but I've seen some other predictions that are almost double that amount, closer to 800,000 over the next 20 years. So if they are wrong in that number, then there definitely would need to be an adjustment with how they plan their growth around the metro area. They talked in one of the articles that I read about a term that I've never actually seen in writing before. I've kind of alluded to it and I've, you know, it's kind of been talk around a water cooler, which they called it climate refugees. And they're basically saying that Portland has the benefits with climate change 
our climate is one of those that will not be impacted as negatively and possibly in some ways almost positively. Whereas, you know, you got to think about like Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, even Texas, those areas closer to the equator as climate change occurs, they go from what they were perceived before as, you know, a wonderful warm climate to being way, way too hot. And arguably they were already borderline <laughs> too hot to begin with, especially when you talk about Arizona. Right, right. So as those places are suffering, places like Portland and Seattle and probably all of Canada, for that matter, start to look much more attractive. And so as that's occurring, they're wondering if that is being considered and factored into these numbers of the people moving to Portland. Yeah, it's an interesting term. I definitely have never seen it in writing. You know, I... I kind of have a little bit of a hard time with it because I know that, you know, Ian in our office here, he actually just came back from Tucson. And when he came back, he said he met just randomly a few people from Portland who said that they lived here for long enough and they were waterlogged and they needed to leave. So I guess it's up for debate as to whether or not there's more people leaving or coming due to climate change or just our climate in general, which, you know, I think some people just get to all they can handle rain wise and then they just got to get the hell out of here. And so I think there's definitely some of that that goes on as well. But to your point, if you do live down in Arizona or New Mexico or some of those hotter states, you know, some of the year is virtually unbearable. So, you know, you got to go somewhere. And if it's on the West Coast, California is expensive, right? And Seattle is pretty expensive as well. And Portland's kind of the lesser expensive little brother to Seattle, essentially. And so that's where a lot of people end up landing. And so I think that's probably, you know, where they come up with that. But it's interesting to see that term in print. I I've never seen it that way. That's for sure. Yeah. And the other thing that was interesting in this talk of the urban growth boundary is it's not just about how much land you allow in, but it's also where is that land. And right now, the land that is slated to be developed is almost entirely in Washington County. A lot of it is in Hillsboro, and a lot of it is, I believe, there on the backside of Bull Mountain, Cooper Mountain, some of yeah. those areas. Yep. So... There's a lot of talk, too, about, well, what about Multnomah County? What about Clackamas County? Just because you're projecting 400,000 more people are moving in the next 20 years doesn't mean they all want to be in Washington County. So there's, there's a little bit of you know, debate going on about that as well. Yeah, there's a huge section. Well, it's not huge, but I'm sure you're aware of it. It's one of the more debated areas to eventually expand to, and that's the Stafford Triangle. And there's a lot of people that have bought dirt, that own dirt there, that are waiting for their ability to actually develop that. And it looks like they're going to have to wait a little longer. But that's an area that I think will eventually flourish if it is allowed to be developed because it sits right there between Tualatin, Westland, and Lake Oswego. And there's a lot of, you know, rolling hills and, and nothing there. And it's pretty, but all three of those cities are growing like crazy, Lake Oswego, Westland, and Tualatin. I mean, Tualatin really, I mean, it's... I remember when my family first moved to Tualatin in 1990, I mean, there was a dog food plant there and every Thursday, you know, it stunk up the whole town. So it's changed dramatically now. I mean, now you got Cabela's and you got that whole shopping center. And so, you know, you've got that little corridor between Tualatin, Westland, Lake Oswego that feels pretty country right now for being just five minutes away from basically every amenity you could want. And so, you know, that's going to go at some point. It doesn't look like it's going to go in the next couple of years. But I would say that it's definitely on the docket for probably within the next 10 years for sure. Yeah, those are some of my favorite parts of the metro area, for sure. And if people ever are wondering what is the best way to try to get ahead of the urban growth boundary or capitalize on future expansion, 
one of the most foolproof ways to do it is to buy a house on a bunch of land and just live there. Enjoy it, live there, and just wait. <laughs> um, it can get pretty risky if you're doing speculative purchases outside of that, but I've known many clients over the years and some who knew what they were doing and some who were accidental in the process who just kind of did that. They found a beautiful, large parcel with a house that they easily could live in and wanted to live in and said, okay, you know what? I'm going to make this home for the next 10, 15 years. And if it happens, great. If it doesn't, they had a wonderful home for 10, 15 years. So that's something for our clients and us in general, just to keep in mind. Yeah, I agree. I think pure speculation on it is proving to be not nearly as profitable, especially with the latest decision. (laughs) But if you live out there, you know, of course, enjoy it until it changes over. But, you know, that brings us to kind of a bigger issue, which is Metro's basically saying there's enough land within the urban growth boundary, for the most part, more specifically in Clackamas and Multnomah County, that can be redeveloped or developed, period, to accommodate for the influx of people. So that takes us to the point of how much land is underserved at this point or it's underutilized you know let's say it's a smaller older home or it's an older home in portland that sits on higher density zoning they also made mention to a lot of these people coming in are going to be okay with living in multifamily type situations because their income is going to be to the point that it just makes sense for them to live in a multifamily type building so now you've got a lot of this redevelopment going on which is not particularly liked by many people closer in in Portland. And so it creates an interesting dynamic of people on the outside not necessarily wanting the redevelopment to occur by them, not entirely, but some people do, some people don't. But then you've got the closer in folks that don't necessarily want to see the redevelopment and the increased traffic and the more people and the lack of parking and things that come along with that. So we're kind of at a little bit of a conundrum here, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Which leads us into our other topic that we should probably move into, asbestos. It feels like there's a lot of pushback on development, and it's like every which way you turn, there's a new reason to not improve housing or redevelop housing. And It's an interesting deal. I was actually out at breakfast a week ago Sunday, and I looked over at, you know, they got the little Oregonian machines there as you walk outside of a restaurant or whatever. You can put your quarters in, get the Oregonian. And I saw the article on the front page about asbestos, and the title of the article was, let me pull it up here unsettling dust hundreds of portland homes demolished with asbestos inside so obviously they're trying to sell subscriptions or readership or whatever but you know i read the article i think the guy that wrote it definitely needs to be schooled on some things unfortunately the guy that he profiled in there i've actually sold him a lot (laughs) in the last couple of months in selwood but i think he's learned his lesson Either way, you know, I think we looked at the statistics of 181 homes were demolished last year in the city of Portland. And so they're basically saying hundreds of homes are demolished with asbestos in them, which is a misleading headline to begin with, right? So of the 181 homes, maybe there were a handful where developers or builders didn't follow the exact protocol that they should have in terms of dealing with asbestos. And, you know, some of it, the city of Portland is to blame because they'll actually issue a demo permit without needing an asbestos remediation report attached to it. Whereas there's other areas, and this is a story that I think is important that I bring up, we mainly build in Lake Oswego. Lake Oswego requires you to submit your asbestos remediation report prior to them issuing you your demo permit to knock the house down. So that basically means that you have to hire an asbestos remediation company to come in, test everything in the home that may potentially contain asbestos, and remove the stuff that contains asbestos after they do their testing. Then they issue you a report, 
and paperwork that says that they've removed it properly. You turn that into the city, and the city then gives you your demo permit. Well, I was down in the city of Lake Oswego a week ago Monday morning, and a lady was in front of me talking to one of my more favorite gals down there in the building department, just raising hell. And she was talking about how a house next door to her had been knocked down, and she'd been exposed to asbestos, and she was going to get mesothelioma, or however you pronounce it, and just going bananas on everybody. The lady behind the desk politely let her know that they had actually, she pulled the file, they had done their asbestos remediation, they had a report, they had issued the report, they'd given it to the city, the city then gave them their demo permit, but that wasn't good enough for her, so then she got on the phone and she called the EPA right in the middle of the lobby, so I got to hear all this, that's why I know so much about what's going on, and she was just reaming the people down at the EPA because they weren't sending somebody out there immediately to test everything because they asked her on the phone if she had a copy of the asbestos report, which she said she had, but yet she was still claiming that she'd been exposed to it. She then also admitted to the fact that she she went on the builder's property that evening, trespassed, and took pictures of everything that she thought had asbestos in it. So now you've got somebody that's actually breaking the law. They're trespassing. They're taking pictures of things that they have no idea about. What and does then asbestos they, look like, Tucker? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would like to ask her that same question. <laughs> so I guess the bottom line is, is that, yes, it has happened. I've known somebody that knocked down a house without properly removing the asbestos siding. The EPA came out. They got fined thousands and thousands of dollars. And he will never, ever do it again. But for the most part, I would say virtually every builder now knows that you have to get asbestos removed. And the city of Portland will probably put a catch in very soon before they issue demo permits because they already have a 30-day moratorium before you can submit to knock down a home. You have to wait 30 days to get your permit. So within that time, I'm sure they'll require now that you turn in that paperwork to them to get the actual demo permit. But in the city of Lake Oswego, you cannot knock a home down without providing the city your asbestos remediation report, basically proving that all asbestos has been removed from the home. So at that point, then the home can be knocked down. The dust that's in the air, it doesn't have asbestos in it. You don't have to worry about cancer or, you know, whatever else it is that they, you know, say that breathing in asbestos particles will cause. So you really don't need to worry about it. But this article created this mass hysteria. And the whole point is this gal was on the phone with the EPA talking about this article that she'd read. And that's why she was down there raising hell. And I had talked to my favorite gal there at the desk in the building department. And she had said that this was like the fifth person that had come in basically claiming that they'd been exposed to asbestos. Just in Lake Oswego, over the course of that morning, when the reality is all asbestos in those homes had been removed out. So the writer didn't do a very good job of saying how things are not that way in every city. And they also didn't do a very good job saying that, you know, most builders are very responsible in how they build and how they redevelop. And that just because the city doesn't make you do it doesn't mean that they don't do it. So, so quick question, Tucker. When we're Shoot. talking about asbestos, are we worried in general in regards to this article? Is the fear of health to the people working on the house or the future buyer? The fear is, well, the way the article was written, it instills fear to say that the workers weren't working with masks on or something like that. But really, the fear is the neighbors. The neighbors feel like the house gets knocked down. The plumes of dust that are created from that, right, contain mm. asbestos particles and them or their kids who are out swinging on their swing set when they're knocking down the house are going to breathe in those asbestos particles and it's going to eventually cause cancer and other health issues. That's the main concern. The people that work in the excavation businesses, they've been around it all their life. They know what's dangerous, what's not, when they need a ventilator or mask and when they don't. And so they're very comfortable with that process. But it was mainly written to let neighbors know what they could potentially be exposed to. Is there data to substantiate that asbestos levels in the area 
will linger and cause problems to these people, or is that the just data, fear-mongering? Yeah, it's a little bit of fear-mongering. The data that I have read shows that extended exposure has caused potential cancer. And I know that. I'm yeah. in no way questioning that. Lung cancer is front and center in that conversation. But it just seems to me if, you know, the house next door to me is doing a demolition, it seems like the particles would kind of go up in the air, literally, and kind of the wind would spread them around. And, you know, maybe there's a day or two of elevated levels. And then that changes, right? I can't imagine a year later, I'm going to do a reading in the air. And it's like, oh, my goodness, it's still out here. No, no, I think they're more concerned with at the immediate as when the house is being knocked down. And that that potential asbestos debris is in the air that they're breathing at that moment, not Mm -hmm. a year later, but just during the process, because whenever a home gets knocked down, you know, they knock it down, there's dust, there's debris, there's things like that. And you can combat that the best you can with spraying down the debris and all of the stuff that you're, you know, knocking down and piling up and throwing into the dumpsters, but there's still dust to some extent that will occur. And whether you see it or not, that's what people are concerned with. Hmm. Interesting. And And it's a reasonable fear because nobody wants to be exposed to things that they can't control. But at the same time, there really isn't any risk, at least of people in Lake Oswego being exposed to it at all, because you have to remove it before you even get your demo permit. But in the city of Portland, virtually every builder knows that they're supposed to get it removed. And whether or not they actually give the report to the city or not to get their demo permit doesn't mean that they didn't do it. And so, yes, there's a few stray builders that may have not done this because it is a, a newer thing. But you know, the point is, is that there's not hundreds of homes being demolished with asbestos just flying through the air all over the city of Portland. If yep. that makes sense. Yeah, interesting article. Yeah, so it definitely instilled a lot of fear in people, and unfortunately, a lot of it's unfounded, and it's not the same all the way across the metro area. Yeah. Well, one last article that I noticed, and then we should probably get going, was CNBC. It was actually just today, talking about how people are starting to turn their homes into ATMs again. Now, there was a little caveat to this. It was definitely saying it's not anywhere near like what it was at one point, you know, probably about 10 years ago. But they did say some interesting statistics here that about $1 trillion in home equity has been gained over the past year and that there is an elevated number of cash-out refinances. The average amount being taken out is about $65,000, which it did say is comparable to the amounts being taken out in 2006. Now, where it was a little bit better news and definitely made me feel better about the housing market was they said the loan to value ratio for for today's borrowers on average is about 68%, whereas 10 years ago, it was really close to 100%. Or like 110, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or more, yeah. And so it was an interesting article. It said, you know, there's a lot of people that are accessing the equity in their house. It said some of the reasons they're doing that, they've looked at the market, they see how hot it is, they don't want to get out there and compete. They don't want to sell their house and then compete on buying the next one. So they're just pulling out some equity, hiring contractors who are as busy as can be, and they're making some improvements to their homes. So it wasn't a negative article, but it was definitely interesting. You know, I'm in support of that. I mean, I think a 68% loan to value is very safe in terms of not only the lender, but also in terms of the homeowner continuing to make their payment and live there. 
the other thing that I found interesting about your comments were that a lot of these people didn't want to compete in the marketplace, right? So they're taking this equity, they're reinvesting it in their home. They're not buying jet skis. They're not buying, you know, ridiculous lavish vacations. They're not flushing it down the toilet. They're reinvesting it in their home. And most of the time that reinvestment will give them some sort of value. It may not be dollar for dollar, but it might be 50 cents on the dollar or something like that, depending on what they're doing. And so it's not a total waste of money. They're reinvesting. They're basically saying, yes, I'm going to live here for a long time. I'm going to continue to pay the note. And in doing so, you know, that's really the underlying stability to the marketplace, right? It's when you have people that quit paying their mortgage. Now you have foreclosure related inventory. That's a downward pressure on prices. But when you have people that have fairly safe loan to value ratios, they're being qualified on these mortgages based on real income. And then they're reinvesting most of that money into the house they're living in. You know, to me, that seems like a pretty safe thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Interesting article, nonetheless. It's good to bring it up. You know, there's a lot of headlines out there. I guess that's the point. And, you know, a lot of times they'll slant it because they want to get listenership, viewership, readership, whatever it is. And it's good to listen to us so we can sort it out for you. Right, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. So this coming up week, we will be doing our first of the best of Masters in Real Estate. I'm really excited about that. We just had a phone call with Joe today, and we're kind of chatting about a few ideas we'll be doing there. So our listeners can look forward to that. Yeah, I'm excited to have Joe back on. We've got some hot topics to discuss, so it'll be a fun-filled show, probably a fair bit of emotion, and it'll be a good time. Absolutely. Other than that, we do have our Portland Real Estate Podcast app. It's available for Android. We'll have a link to it in this week's show notes. The iPhone app is shortly behind it. Hopefully by the end of the week, beginning of next week, that'll be available. So if you haven't already, make sure you go get that app. It'll actually give you a notification every time a new show is released, and you don't even have to download it. It does it for you. So it makes it real easy to listen to our show. All you got to do is just download the app. It's free. If you're on Android, just go to the App Store, however you do it on Android. And if you got the iPhone, eventually you can go to the iTunes Store and download it on your iPhone. So that pretty much wraps it up for me this week. Steve, any parting words? Have a great week, Tucker, and we will be back at it here very soon. Sounds like a plan. All right, everybody out there in listening land, this wraps it up for Steve and I here on episode 11. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.